If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 28, 2021. The podcast that coined the term plagiarism. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's capacitate the news of the bogus. Beginning with the perennial Kim.com case that has been going on now for nine years, which has just been sent back to a lower court for further consideration, the cost of the case to New Zealand taxpayers has been revealed. Government lawyers have spent 40,500 working hours on the case, which is probably around 25 million New Zealand dollars, or about 18 million U.S. That's the equivalent of someone working 40-hour work weeks for 19 and a half years at over $600 an hour. On top of that, extra costs, including external legal work, airfares, and administrative costs, account for an additional 3.6 million or 2.6 million U.S. The Crown Law Office had already spent 432 hours on the case before Dotcom's arrest. Over the next three years, they'd spent more than 21,000 hours. They'd been prepared for two legal proceedings. Since then, it's been more like two dozen. No word yet on how much the extradition cases cost American taxpayers, but we can expect it to be around that same amount. All for someone whose only crime was to create the world's first cloud storage service, which worked exactly the same way as Dropbox. And even if he'd done everything they claim, it still wouldn't be actionable because there's no such thing as secondary criminal copyright infringement in either U.S. or New Zealand law. Not to mention the ridiculousness of the U.S. calling a man a fugitive and wanting him extradited when he never set foot in the U.S. or ran a business here. Dotcom tweeted, The New Zealand government is so incredibly inept, they have been played by the U.S. to turn a civil copyright case into a huge criminal embarrassment. Instead of me creating jobs and billions for the New Zealand economy, they keep wasting taxpayer money to keep this stillborn case going. 40,000 hours wasted on this novel bullshit case which makes New Zealand look like an obedient colonial appendix defecating on their own rule of law in exchange for some brownie points. Embarrassingly dependent and spineless. But at least I don't get COVID in New Zealand, sunglasses emoji. But there's no sign of things letting up anytime soon, despite a change in power in New Zealand to the Labour Party. Jacinda Ardern was elected Prime Minister, but despite how she campaigned, nothing has changed for .com or the case. .com tweeted, My big disappointment is Jacinda. In opposition, NZ Labor demanded independent inquiries into my case when it was politically convenient. Now she's in power and does nothing to end this madness. Instead, she's ignoring judgments to give me evidence I'm entitled to for my defense. Don't expect it to change from the U.S. side either, since Biden is basically a bagman for Hollywood, being huge donors to him and the Democratic Party, not to mention the fact that he was one of the heavy hitters behind the initial action, even more so than Barack Obama. So it doesn't look like this will be over anytime soon, but we'll continue watching. If you're looking for ways to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand advertisements, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. 
Use the links at the bottom of the description to listen to the podcast and all of my videos on BitTube.tv or LBRY.tv to get cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. Or if you listen to the podcast at the podcast page, you'll also generate crypto. You can also go to airtime.bogosity.tv to get the airtime extension and generate crypto for yourself and the creators on the web anywhere you go, including my YouTube channel. Get five tubes free just for installing the extension and signing up, and then simply browse the web as normal. Easily monetize your favorite creators and yourself with cryptocurrency without advertising on BidTube.tv or LBRY.tv or with the Airtime extension at Airtime.Pagosity.tv. Another story we've been covering is the Kyle Rittenhouse case. As we've covered, the prosecution, apparently more concerned with a political show trial than justice, wanted to revoke or at least increase Kyle's bail for taking a picture making the OK sign and for not wanting the location of his safe house made public, since what's the point of a safe house in that case? We've been critical of Judge Bruce Schroeder's handling of the case thus far. In fact, we gave him biggest bogan emitter back in January. But it looks like he may be catching on to the reality of what's happening in his court. In the Zoom call that served as the hearing, he had to chastise DA Thomas Binger for referring to those Kyle had shot as victims. In the legal system, you're considered innocent until proven guilty. That means there isn't supposed to be anything prejudicial, such as referring to someone as a victim, until there's actually been a conviction. Most judges don't seem to care about justice, so they let language like that slide by, but Judge Schroeder said he wasn't going to allow it. Binger and Gage Grosskreutz's lawyer, Kimberly Motley, kept trying to claim that it was highly unusual for them not to know where a defendant is staying, and that it's, quote, required for all criminal defendants. Judge Schroeder had to repeatedly point out to them that this just wasn't the case. He even had to explain to the DA the difference between a place where someone is staying and the place where they can receive notice of court hearings. At one point toward the end, when Judge Schroeder ruled that Kyle could submit his address to the court under seal, Binger asked, quote, Your Honor, is that information to be shared with our offices too? Judge Schroeder, No. DA, why not? Judge Schroeder, that has nothing to do with you or your office. One wonders why Binger wants Kyle's address so badly. Binger and Motley also kept trying to accuse Kyle of racism and paint him as a white supremacist. Judge Schroeder said that he refused to bring race into his courtroom and said, quote, I am not going to decide anything in this case or in any other on the basis of the color of someone's skin. Good for him. Which brings us to John Huber father of Anthony Huber, who had been killed by Rittenhouse and who had attended the hearing. He really let the judge see the kind of person he is. Initially, he refused the judge's request that he remove his mask when speaking, unless others at risk of COVID were present where he was. The reason why is that it's easier for court recorders if they can see the person's lips. Huber copped an attitude saying he'll remove his mask when Kyle does, and then mouthed off to the judge when he removed it. Not a good idea. Funny, he didn't have the mask when he first came on the Zoom call. He gave completely useless testimony about Kyle being a killer above the law with no remorse, which you'd only have if you'd actually done something wrong, again, innocent until proven guilty. 
claimed that other people shouldn't have been allowed to post his bond, he doesn't need to be in a safe house, he made psychotic emotional appeals, and even appeared to threaten Kyle when he said to him, You're not going to be free as F. Justice is going to be served to you. Witnesses aren't supposed to be allowed to speak directly to defendants. As for Kyle's rights, he said, Whatever the statutes are, they must be wrong. Judges ordinarily don't have that level of patience with misbehaving witnesses. Maybe partly because it was on a Zoom call, maybe partly because he knew it was a grieving parent. The judge let it slide, but he didn't let it affect his judgment in any way. At another point, Hubert held up a sign that said, Out of control, when he didn't like what the judge was saying. And the crowning moment was when the judge said he was going to deny the motions, Hubert flipped the bird to the camera. Towards the end, Judge Schroeder said, quote, It is sad this is getting at the level that it is. I can't help that. I will tell you that the violation, well, most of the people who are out on bond, we don't know where they are. We don't have these restrictions on travel, except when the judge, following the statute, puts an abode condition on. That was not done in this case, so he didn't violate anything like that. I disagree with your statement that bail is a privilege. Bail is a right in the Constitution. But apparently the DA has never read that. He even tried interrupting when the judge said, The hearing is over. Thank you. Binger chimed in with, The defendant does not reside in Kenosha County, Your Honor. The sheriff can't help. And Schroeder simply said, Thank you. The real question, it needs to be said again, is why the DA is so anxious to get his address. As the judge repeatedly point out, he doesn't need it. The DA kept making one incorrect statement after another that the judge kept correcting about how this just doesn't happen when actually it's quite typical. The DA had said to the judge, I hope you're not suggesting that sharing this information with our office is somehow going to lead to further violence. Funny, that didn't seem to be in his mind. But it did seem to be in yours. Could that have been what they call a suspicious denial? If nothing else, we see that the judge is not in any way a lapdog for the DA as so many of them are, so that's good. He also seems like he's not at all ready to put up with any nonsense. Maybe our initial view of him was premature, and he's starting to see exactly what's going on here. And that can only be good for Kyle. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. This one is kind of strange. Apparently, NVIDIA is trying to take steps to make sure that people don't use their GPUs for crypto mining. 
For its latest chip, the RTX 3060, the company says that the chip is, quote, tailored to meet the needs of gamers and those who create digital experiences. Our GeForce RTX GPUs introduce cutting-edge technologies, such as RTX real-time ray tracing, DLSS AI accelerated image upscaling technology, reflex super-fast response rendering for the best system latency, and many more. GPUs are better suited to this than CPUs. CPUs have to be good at executive functions, operating the myriad components in the computer as well as running the software. The trade-off is, it's not quite so efficient at pure number crunching. GPUs are tuned for taking massive amounts of data, putting it into memory, and doing a ton of calculations on it. They're not suitable for executive functions, which is why computers for decades have relied on separate processors for the GPU and CPU. But as a side effect, GPUs are also good at cryptographic calculations, like if you're going to be running tons of SHA-256 calculations like with Bitcoin mining. That's created some tension between graphics people and crypto miners. According to the graphics people, the miners grabbing up all the GPU technology raises the price for everyone else. While that's true, they're ignoring the other part of the economic equation, that they're increasing the market for GPUs, and the result is more GPUs and more capable GPUs than would have existed otherwise. More people buying high-def TVs or smartphones or whatever have resulted in those technologies being cheaper and more available. Same effect here. But NVIDIA is apparently trying to appeal to the graphics side of the equation, which, after all, is why they exist in the first place. They wrote... With the launch of GeForce RTX 3060 on February 25th, we're taking an important step to help ensure GeForce GPUs end up in the hands of gamers. RTX 3060 software drivers are designed to detect specific attributes of the Ethereum cryptocurrency mining algorithm and limit the hash rate or cryptocurrency mining efficiency by around 50%. In other words, they're going to try and detect what kind of calculations you're doing, and if they're similar enough to the Ethash mining algorithm, it'll basically do a DOS attack and slow down the GPU. Apparently, they aren't that worried about Bitcoin mining, because serious miners prefer ASICs for that. So they're focusing on Ethereum, the cryptocurrency with the second biggest market cap. Ethash was designed to run on GPUs, but be ASIC resistant. Expect patches to show up on pirate sites removing that limitation from the drivers. That's my prediction at any rate. But NVIDIA hasn't left crypto miners out in the cold. Quote, To address the specific needs of Ethereum mining, we're announcing the NVIDIA CMP, Cryptocurrency Mining Processor, product line for professional mining. CMP products, which don't do graphics, are optimized for the best mining performance and efficiency. They don't meet the specifications required of a GeForce GPU, and thus don't impact the availability of GeForce GPUs to gamers. NVIDIA should really just be in the business of selling hardware and letting the consumer decide what it's used for. This smacks of when Microsoft deliberately made Windows 3.1 crash if it detected it was running on DR-DOS. Is this really about helping gamers and graphic designers, or is it more about selling their own line of crypto hardware? What happens when it's machine learning that ends up being the larger use for GPUs? Will they cripple that to release their own neural processors? And what about people who want to do both gaming and crypto mining? In any event, don't actually expect the insane price of NVIDIA GPUs to drop anytime soon. That's my other prediction. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? 
Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to revalorize this week's biggest bogun emitter. And this week it goes to the Southern Poverty Law Center for a hateful tweet full of lies and invective deliberately designed to misinform people about what happened on January 6th and use it to attack Senator Ron Johnson for something he never said. They tweeted, Loaded guns, zip ties, threats, several injuries, and five murders. But ask Senator Ron Johnson about the violent Jan 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and he won't call it for what it was. Oh, where to begin? As we've covered before, no one at the Capitol occupation was armed. Well, not the protesters at any rate. Now, as to the supposed five murders. One protester, Ashley Babbitt, was shot dead by police. That's the only thing remotely resembling a murder, and it wasn't by protesters. It wasn't even in defense of any violence committed by Babbitt. Three others who died of medical emergencies were protesters, such as 55-year-old Kevin Greeson, who died of a heart attack. And as we covered, Officer Brian Sicknick died of a stroke. That's the five. Two other officers committed suicide in the days following the riot. All of the facts I've just given you were publicly available at the time the Southern Poverty Law Center published this tweet. The information is bogus, and they knew it, as evidenced by the fact that, after several people called them out on it, they deleted the tweet and posted a revised one just like their heroes in Mini True. But the internet is forever, and you'll find an archive link in the show notes. The new tweet reads, Weapons, zip ties, threats, several injuries, and five related deaths. But ask Senator Ron Johnson about the violent Jan 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, and he won't call it for what it was. Doesn't quite have the same impact, does it? Loaded guns became weapons, and five murders became five related deaths, even though only one of them was related and was the fault of police. And keep in mind, all of this was mentioned to support their contention of how violent the occupation was. No retraction, no apology, no effort to correct the misinformation in the minds of people who saw the original tweet. All they've done is compound their initial dishonesty with further dishonesty. The fact that they would make these outrageous claims to try and keep the bogus narrative going long after it's been debunked should let everyone see once and for all exactly what the Southern Poverty Law Center is. The least of which is that they're this week's biggest bogan emitter. (laughs) 
And now something that's never happened once in the 10-year history of this podcast. Not one, but two Silver Cluon Awards. We've had shared awards before, but this is the very first time in the history of this podcast that we've actually had two separate winners in the same week. The first is Ontario MPP Roman Baber. It's unusual for us to praise a politician, but I love what this guy did. Baber had been kicked out of Premier Doug Ford's caucus when he sent the Premier a two-page letter calling the lockdowns, quote, deadlier than COVID. He pointed out that the lockdowns were causing, quote, an avalanche of suicides, bankruptcies, divorces, and takes an immense toll on our children. They are killing lives instead of saving lives. I plead with you to accept this reality and end the lockdown. So, Baber figures, if Canadian politicians say the Canadians can live on $500 a week, which is the amount provided by the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, so can they. He introduced the We Are All In This Together Act that would slash MPP salaries to $2,000 a month for the duration, ending only when emergency orders did so that politicians could appreciate the consequences of lockdowns. He said in a statement, quote, the government is quick to shut down the economy, leaving hundreds of thousands of workers on employment insurance. The unemployment rate is almost double, and more than 400,000 Ontarians remain unemployed compared to pre-pandemic levels. It's easy to pass laws that destroy people's livelihoods when you're on government salary. My PMB will encourage MPPs to fully appreciate the consequences of their actions when many Ontarians can't afford to put food on the table. The silver clue on is given for exposing bogosity clearly, simply, and unmistakably, and this happened because of what MPPs did next. As you might predict, the bill was denied consent. But what happened next beautifully exposes the psychopathy of Baber's fellow MPPs. The House leader, Pal Calandra, offered a countermotion to reduce just Baber's salary to 500 a week, which received unanimous consent. Baber remained silent out of conflict of interest. The counter-motion was ruled out of order by Speaker Ted Arnott, but the pettiness and sociopathy of the MPPs had been laid bare. Politicians keep making tons of money at taxpayer expense, they enjoy paid vacations, they don't even subject themselves to the same restrictions they impose on the rest of us. If you made them live under the same conditions the rest of us are currently living under, maybe they'd start accepting the copious data on all the bad consequences of lockdowns. Baber had to have known that his bill had no chance whatsoever of succeeding. He was making a point, and Calandra and his fellow House members made that point for him far better than he could. So enjoy your shiny new silver clue on, Baber. We can't promise it's worth $500 a week, though. Alright, our second silver clue on goes to Justice Clarence Thomas. We've liked him sometimes, we've criticized him sometimes, but his recent smackdown of his fellow justices is just choice. It's one thing to completely and utterly shame, denigrate, and expose the hypocrisy of your colleagues. It's another thing entirely to do it while remaining a perfect gentleman and with a rationality that never wavers. As we covered, there were a lot of reasons to be skeptical of emergency election measures such as vote by mail and the ensuing legal decisions made in their wake. But the Supreme Court denied a writ of certiorari for these cases, saying it was too short a time before the election. They likewise denied cert after the election, saying there wasn't enough time to decide before the election results were finalized. 
Now, the cases of Republican Party of Pennsylvania v. Veronica de Graffenried, Acting Secretary of Pennsylvania et al., and Jake Corman et al. v. Pennsylvania Democratic Party et al. have come before the court yet again so that the matter can finally be decided before the next election cycle. And they were denied cert again. Thomas would like to know why, to say the least. Thomas wanted to hear the case along with Alito and Gorsuch. Barrett didn't take part because the cases preceded her swearing in. The others voted to deny cert. The denial leaves intact the ruling of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and we covered in detail what partisan hacks they were being. They usurped the power of the legislature by extending the legislative deadline for mail-in votes. As Alito wrote in his dissent, in which he was joined by Gorsuch, quote, the provisions of the federal constitution conferring on state legislatures, not state courts, the authority to make rules governing federal elections, would be meaningless if a state court could override the rules adopted by the legislature simply by claiming that a state constitutional provision gave the courts the authority to make whatever rules it thought appropriate for the conduct of a fair election. But he just couldn't match the magnificence of Justice Thomas. Quote, the petitions here represent a clear example. The Pennsylvania legislature established an unambiguous deadline for receiving mail-in ballots, 8 p.m. on Election Day. Dissatisfied, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court extended that deadline by three days. The court also ordered officials to count ballots received by the new deadline, even if there was no evidence, such as a postmark, that the ballots were mailed by Election Day. That decision to rewrite the rules seems to have affected too few ballots to change the outcome of any federal election. But that may not be the case in the future. These cases provide us with an ideal opportunity to address just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules, and to do so well before the next election cycle. The refusal to do so is inexplicable. Not only did parties on both sides agree that the issue warranted certiorari, but there was also no question that petitioners faced irreparable harm. Now that the petitions are before us under the normal briefing schedule, I see no reason to avoid them. Unclear rules threaten to undermine the election system. They sow confusion and ultimately dampen confidence in the integrity and fairness of elections. To prevent confusion, we have thus repeatedly, although not as consistently as we should, blocked rule changes made by courts close to an election. An election system lacks clear rules when, as here, different officials dispute who has authority to set or change those rules. This kind of dispute brews confusion because voters may not know which rules to follow. Even worse, with more than one system of rules in place, competing candidates might each declare victory under different sets of rules. We are fortunate that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision to change the receipt deadline for mail-in ballots does not appear to have changed the outcome of any federal election, but we may not be so lucky in future. He pointed out that it does seem to have altered at least one election result. One candidate for a Pennsylvania state Senate seat claimed victory under one rule. Another candidate claimed victory under the contrary rule. Thomas wrote, That is not a prescription for confidence. Changing the rules in the middle of the game is bad enough. Such rule changes by officials who may lack authority to do so is even worse. When those changes alter election results, they can severely damage the electoral system on which our self-governance so heavily depends. If state officials have the authority they have claimed, we need to make it clear. If not, we need to put an end to this practice now before the consequences become catastrophic.
If you can't adjudicate the issue too soon before an election, or too soon after, and you can't do it now, then when can you ever get the Supreme Court to hear the case? That's what Thomas wants to know, quote, Because the judicial system is not well suited to address these kinds of questions in the short period available immediately after an election, we ought to use available cases outside that truncated context to address these admittedly important questions. Here, we have the opportunity to do so almost two years before the next federal election cycle. Our refusal to do so by hearing these cases is befuddling. Cert was denied because the case is now moot, but Thomas thinks that's just ridiculous. Quote, The issue presented is capable of repetition, yet evades review. This exception to mootness, which the court routinely invokes in election cases, applies where the challenged action is in its duration too short to be fully litigated prior to cessation or expiration, and there is a reasonable expectation that the same complaining party will be subject to the same action again. Here, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court issued its decision about six weeks before the election, leaving little time for review in this court. And there is a reasonable expectation that these petitioners, the state Republican Party and legislators, will again confront non-legislative officials altering election rules. In fact, various petitions claim that no fewer than four other decisions of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court implicate the same issue. Future cases will arise as lower state courts apply these precedents to justify intervening in elections and changing the rules. And he concluded, quote, One wonders what this court waits for. We fail to settle this dispute before the election and thus provide clear rules. Now we again fail to provide clear rules for future elections. The decision to leave election law hidden beneath a shroud of doubt is baffling. By doing nothing, we invite further confusion and erosion of voter confidence. Our fellow citizens deserve better and expect more of us. I respectfully dissent. And at this point, I think he would have dropped the mic if it hadn't been screwed into the table. So enjoy your shiny new silver clue on Justice Thomas, and maybe you can use it to shine a little light on your fellow justices in the future. to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's muppetationalize this week's Idiot Way back when Jim Henson sold the Muppets to Disney, I just knew that nothing good would come from it. For the most part, they've been pretty good stewards of this classic franchise, but I guess it was just a matter of time before woke culture put them in their sights. 
Disney Plus has added the classic variety show to its lineup, which ran for five seasons between 1976 and 1981. Each episode featured a celebrity guest, which included such luminaries as Danny Kaye, Christopher Reeve, George Burns, Elton John, Alice Cooper, John Cleese, Mark Hamill, Diana Ross, and many others. The show won no less than four Primetime Emmys and three BAFTAs. Except that now, the show comes after a disclaimer on the screen which reads, This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Yeah, because of its stereotypical portrayal of frogs, pigs, eagles, and whatever the hell Gonzo is. The disclaimer continues, Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. The thing about it is, all of the Muppets were different species, colors, sizes, body types, and no two were really alike. But they were all friends and they got along. How could anybody take offense at that? You can now only watch The Muppet Show if you have an adult account. Absolutely disgusting. Episodes that have been singled out include those featuring Jim Neighbors, Joel Gray, Steve Martin, Peter Sellers, Cleo Lane, James Coco, Spike Milligan, Crystal Gale, Kenny Rogers, Beverly Sills, Jonathan Winters, Alan Arkin, James Coburn, Joan Baez, Johnny Cash, Debbie Harry, Wally Bogue, and Marty Feldman. It's hard to know exactly why, but one example that keeps being reported is Johnny Cash, and apparently it's because he was featured singing songs including Ghost Riders in the Sky and Dirty Old Egg Sucking Dog on a set with a Confederate flag in the background. Disney refused to comment, go figure, but they say on their website, quote, As part of our ongoing commitment to diversity and inclusion, we are in the process of reviewing our library and adding advisories to content that includes negative depictions or mistreatment of people or cultures. I challenge you to find me one negative depiction or treatment of anyone in any of those 120 episodes. Well, other than the Muppets themselves and the celebrity guests who had very good senses of humor about themselves. Disney goes on, Rather than removing this content, we see an opportunity to spark conversation and open dialogue on history that affects us all. We also want to acknowledge that some communities have been erased or forgotten altogether, and we're committed to giving voice to their stories as well. Except, apparently, for Southerners. I couldn't help but notice quite a few of those, not just Cash, but also Neighbors and Rogers, were also Southerners. How Alice Cooper avoided a disclaimer is anybody's guess. I think he himself will be chagrined about that. Two episodes were pulled entirely featuring Chris Langham and Brooke Shields. They've also put disclaimers in front of movies such as The Aristocats, Dumbo, Peter Pan, and Swiss Family Robinson, which contain stereotypical portrayals of... I don't know, Swiss people? They were depicted as making cheese and building clocks? It just... I, I don't know anything else to say here. Other than Disney, it has to be this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this Guess It'll Soon Be Over For You Lentils edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Tom Lehrer. 
There's a recent case in Amherst, Massachusetts, where they canceled a performance of West Side Story in the high school because they thought it was offensive to Puerto Ricans or something, missing the point of the whole show. Or they ban Huckleberry Finn because it has the N-word in it. That's just silly. But what can you do? Except kill these people. People like that should be put to sleep. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.